A number of you over the past couple of weeks have told me this, this is the Sunday you've been looking forward to. This is the one, the candle of joy. I think we all feel like we could just use just a little more joy in our life. And, and we're ready for the right thing, you know, the, the real stuff, the stuff that's bigger than, that's more joyous than, that the local news, the national news, the latest tweet, the angry shopper we run into. We're looking for something that will sustain us and carry us and move us forward and something that will connect us with bigger than what I'm experiencing today or hope that we have for tomorrow. Uh, I don't know this next person, this slide I'm going to show you. I, I know nothing about this person. I don't know where she lives. I don't know where she's from, but she sent this out. It's kind of cool to think someone somewhere is having the best day of their life today. Someone's hearing, I love you for the first time today. Someone's going to get the job of their dreams today. Someone received some kind of good news today. And tomorrow, it could be your best day. So keep going. There's something of Advent in that message. There's something about Advent joy in that message. There's something there that we can't quite see or can't quite grasp some good news for God so loved the world that he gave his, his only begotten son. So who knows what might happen today in your life? We have two Advent texts from Scripture this morning that I want to focus on, and at first they don't quite fit together. At first they don't really seem about joy, and at first the two of them don't fit together, and yet I think you'll see the wisdom in the church long ago choosing those two texts for us today. The first one is from Isaiah chapter 61, and I think you'll remember the words, if not from Isaiah, you'll remember our Lord himself using these in the first sermon that we have from him. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, or as one translator puts it, the breath of my Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. The mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garment of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks herself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, 
and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. I have a Hebrew word I'd like for you to learn today, so let's all practice it together. It's a little word. It's yobel. Just think like a bell that you ring and just put yo in front of it, and it's yobel. Everyone say that with me, yobel. It's an interesting little word because in, it's used several different ways. The primary way it started, yobel was the sound to describe the sound of the trumpet, yobel. And then it was such a descriptive word, it also became the word that was used to describe the trumpet itself. And it wasn't just good enough to describe the word of the sound of the trumpet or the trumpet itself, but it also became the word that designated one particular day when the trumpet is sounded, and that is the day of Jubilee. And this text is linked to the day of Jubilee. And for those of you who fell asleep during Sunday school, it goes like this. God brings his people into the promised land, and it's an agrarian society, and it works like this. Every seven years, everybody gets a rest. Everybody gets a break. Everybody takes a, just a big, deep breather. The land rests. And you don't plant that year. And then you do a cycle of seven of those, 49 years, if I do my math correctly. And the 50th year is the year of Jubilee. And it is a joyous year. And the Yobel is sounded. And it sounds Yobel. And everyone celebrates. And by the way, here's how the word is spelled. If you transliterate it into another language, it begins with a Y or a J sound. And in the middle, there's a B sound. And at the end, there's an L sound. And by the way, there's a Y or J and a B, and an L, and it's where we get our word jubilee. In the year of jubilee, all debts are canceled. Maybe you were sick one year and you couldn't harvest and you went into debt. Maybe you waited just a little too late to plant and it didn't work out. Maybe you made some bad choices. It, this was God's plan for the people and the land. Once in a lifetime, it all starts over again. Once in a lifetime, the land goes back to the families, to the clans, to the promise that was made, God bringing the people in. Once in a lifetime, everything breathes again, and they rejoice. And we have all kinds of questions about the year of Jubilee. A couple of weeks ago, when I was wasting some time online, I found an image. A parent had taken a picture of their child's homework, one part of the homework, the way the child answered that question. And here's the question. Write a seven-digit number that has the digit six in the ten thousandths place. This child is going to do just fine in life. When the parent questioned the child, the child said, and I quote, this way I didn't have to think too hard. <laughs> I like this kid. This kid's going to be fine. The teacher, however, needs to word the problem a little better, you know, 
And often when we read Scripture, we begin with our questions. And it takes a while until we start asking even better questions. And when it comes to the year of Jubilee, when it comes to that incredible text in Isaiah 61, the questions usually go like this. Well, how often did they actually observe the year of Jubilee? What if I loaned money to someone one year before the year of Jubilee? Do they have to pay it back? What if I know the year of Jubilee is just around the corner and they come to me and they ask for money? Am I obligated to give it to them, to loan it to them, even though I know they may not have to give it back? What if I've just taken possession of someone's farm because of the debt that they owe? Do I... And so we have all of those kinds of questions. And eventually, we get to better questions. And I think a better question to ask about Isaiah chapter 61 is what... What does the year of Jubilee reveal? What, what does it say about God's character and God's heart? A after we get past the details, after we get past the debt questions, after we get past what do I have to pay back or what does somebody owe me, when do we finally get to the question about God's intentions for the year of Jubilee? What does it say about God's dreams for what it means to be the people of God? or to live together in community. That God desires to restore everyone and everything to its proper place. That life in the community of faith doesn't consist in getting more, but in sharing well. That life in the community of faith doesn't consist in getting more, but in sharing well. You think as a child that the real joy of Christmas is what you get on Christmas Day. Until you become an adult and you realize the real joy is in giving. And Advent joy resounds behind and through Isaiah 61. You can hear it in the Yobel trumpet blast. Because the year of Jubilee is about faith and trust. I'm not a farmer. We had a huge garden. I hope never to have one again. <laughs> but in that ancient society, think of the faith that it took when your God says, the year seven, you don't plant and you don't harvest. I've got this. You're going to harvest enough in year six to get you through year seven and to carry you again until you harvest and you start the cycle again. And think of the faith and trust that it would take in a once-in-a-lifetime year of Jubilee that would say, your debts are forgiven and your family gets to start again. And to the one who has to forgive the debt, it's okay. I've got this. This is going to reestablish and redefine community in a way you haven't dreamed, but in a way that God has dreamed. So here are the words of Isaiah 61 for you on this Advent Sunday when God says, I've got this. 
pandemic, anxiety, worries about travel, loved ones, your children, what's going to happen at college and universities. Hear the words of our Lord and the call, the call of faith and trust. Now, linked to this text of Isaiah chapter 61 is also a gospel text. Hmm. And it takes just a little bit to make a connection. It's a story that's familiar to you of an angel that appears to a young woman, and let me set it up for you. One of the things we often miss, or, or maybe just don't notice the detail, the angel will speak three times, and each time Luke will give us the response of young Mary. The first time, what she is thinking, and the second and third time, not only what she is thinking, but what she also says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And now we know what she thinks. She was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. And his second statement the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And now Mary's response, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the third statement, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary's response, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. And we have questions. The questions usually go like this. Well, we like Mary's first question. How can this be? Haven't heard of this before. Haven't seen this one before. And then we have other questions. How old was Mary? Why did God choose Mary over everyone else? Kind of like the question out of all the people on the earth, how did God choose Abraham? Why in the world would God choose Paul to be the apostle to the very people that he despises? And we have to work through some of the questions until we get to better questions, you know. And a better question, how did Mary respond this way? Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Or maybe an even better question is, how am I responding to God's call? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he has anointed me to bring good news 
the breath of God is upon me. And when God breathes on you, it may be gentle at first, but it seems to come in like an incredible gale force. And life gets turned upside down. And somewhere in the midst of a life that's going to be turned upside down, try explaining this to family and fiancé. Neighbors. And in a life that's about to be turned upside down, Mary will break out in joyful sound. Susan Sparks is with uh, Madison Avenue Baptist Church in New York City, New York. And uh, I came across a list that she created I thought I'd share with you. It's, it's the Ten Commandments for Advent Joy. And they go like this Thou shalt not worry. Life is not a holy contract in which God says, I'm going to protect you from everything. Therefore, instead of asking God, why is this happening to you? Thank God for being with you. Worry or believe. She suggests that you can't do both. Number two, thou shalt not let anger steal your joy. Joy and laughter are the most important healing tools that we have. But sometimes other things sneak in. Someone did you wrong, and you just won't let it go. But be clear, to accommodate all of that anger and all of that frustration, you've got to squeeze some other things out of your life, things like joy. As the old saying goes, the one who has the most influence in your life is the one you refuse to forgive. Number three. Thou shalt believe you deserve joy. Maybe it's low self-esteem. Maybe it's high self-doubt. Maybe it's that you grew up with too many negative people in your life, but some of us don't believe that we deserve to be happy. Some of us really don't believe that's God's intentions for us. Is that you? Why? What's the reason? And if the reason isn't true, then why do you carry it around? And what would your life be like if you would let go of that excuse as well? Or number four, thou shalt laugh with God. We are created in God's image, and we laugh and we feel joy, and laughter and joy are aspects of the holy so it's time that we learned how to embrace it. To be whole, we must be willing to share all of ourselves with God. That includes the anger and the pain and the frustration and the tears and the laughter. It's all holy. Or commandment number five, thou shalt pray it and say it. I'm grateful. If you're struggling with joy in this Advent season, then how about beginning the day with a prayer of gratitude? Before you even get out of bed, take a deep breath and just start talking to God about the things for which and the people for whom you are grateful. And then act on that attitude. 
Say thank you to at least three people throughout the day and try saying it to a stranger whom you have never met and see what happens to them and what could happen to you. Gratitude, she says, is the Audubon to joy. Number six, and now she's messing with our lives. Thou shalt laugh with your neighbor even if your neighbor is a telemarketer. When we laugh with someone, she said, whether it's family or friends or a telemarketer, our worlds overlap for just that moment and we share something. She suggests that you can't hate someone with whom you've laughed. Maybe we should experiment with that one this week. All right, this next one, I have a, if you know me at all, you know I'm going to have a deep problem with this next one. Number seven, thou shalt laugh and eat chocolate and chili peppers. Yeah, so this is the reasoning. All three make us feel good, she says, laughter and chocolate and chili peppers. The increased oxygen from laughing, the serotonin in chocolate, the capsaicin from chilies produce a boost of endorphins. I don't care for chocolate and I cannot stand chili peppers I'm going to do my best. Stop it. <laughs> but there are things in life that do give us that boost. Maybe for you, it's the running. You telling me about your fancy shoes you have today. Yeah, that does. But finding that thing in your life that can help bring you relief from what's happening around us and point us in that direction. Number eight, thou shalt be like the little children. Children laugh approximately 300 times a day. The same study said that adults laugh less than 20 times a day. Something happened along the way. Did we just lose our sense of humor? Did we forget how to laugh? Did we lose our awe at seeing something new or engaging or inspiring in life? When's the last time you laughed out loud and were just amazed at something in life? Maybe we can find it today. Thou shalt lean on laughter in times of trouble. Laughing in a place of pain is the most courageous and rebellious thing you can do. That pain does not own you. It's only what you are experiencing. The psalmist writes, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And laughter is a gift from God that can help us lean into that experience of our Creator. And one more, thou shalt not waste any opportunities for joy. She gives us this story from Irma Bombeck, who says, Think of all the people on the Titanic who on that fateful night said no to dessert. I know, it's a dark one, but... And sometimes we miss some of the simplest things in life that can turn it around for us. Some of the simplest choices, some of the simplest options, the smallest words, the people with whom to share them. Her name is Aisha Brooks Lytle, 
She's a Presbyterian minister. She's the one on your right. When she was in seminary, her grandmother was helping her finish a paper about her family systems tree, and she heard about a relative she did not know about. It was a relative that went back in their family tree all the way back to slave days. And in according to their family lore, they have a relative named Mary, who was six feet tall and wore her hair in long braids and was very defiant, good for Mary. And here's the interesting part. When Mary was freed, they asked her what she wanted. She could not read, she could not write, but she asked for a piece of land to build a church on it. And to this day, to this day there stands Mary's Chapel in Scotland Neck, North Carolina. Mary could have held on to hatred and anger. But like Mary who broke into song giving thanks to God, this Mary decided on a legacy that could change people's lives. Advent gives us a chance to reflect and to think. So where am I looking for joy in my life? Is it just getting more stuff? Is it manipulating every relationship and every opportunity to my advantage? Or is there something about the character and the heart of the God who has created me? Something about that that's trickled down into this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And who knows what could happen now. Will you join me in prayer? And so, God, we open our hearts to you. They're a little bit fearful and a little bit anxious, and we long for Advent joy. Will you fill us with hope that you have not abandoned us or our neighbors or our community or our world? Will you fill us with joy that we have good news to continue sharing? And will you fill us with the confidence that you are not finished, that you've got this, and you have us? In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand as we continue worshiping?